President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Broadcasting live from a secret location buried deep below the earth, you're about to make a connection to the signs of the times. W. Dean Shook is live on the air right now. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate everybody very much. We've got a little bit of a different program today because there's a time in end time news when we talk about so many things so often, it finally piles up to the point where we have to stand true to our name. That's end time news, where we have to see if we are actually in some end times. And it seems that with all of the predictions that something's going to happen in the next six months or so, I figured it's time to take a look at this. So let's make sure that we're not uh, deceived here. We don't know what's going to happen in the next six months. All of the things that we've been reporting on this whole time, the last couple months, may end up just being another Y2K, where everybody freaked out about Y2K and nothing happened. This one seems to be a little bit different, though. This is uh, got a different contrast to it, because the new mainstream media is reporting on mostly this huge economic collapse that they say is coming and that there's other things but the the economic collapse is what they're barking about the most and the fact that the establishment media doesn't seem to want to touch this kind of tells me that something's going on here so maybe it's time to take a collective look at what we've been reporting on for the last few months put it into perspective and see where we are in in time i want to explore the idea that are we at the point of judgment or are we at the point of a very serious shaking you know if we're at the point of another serious shaking then this may be our last chance however if we are at the point of judgment we know what follows judgment that's wrath so let's take a calm collective and logical look at exactly what we're talking about here because ever since in July of 2000 when Vermont became the first state to legalize civil unions, people have been saying, well, the sky hasn't fallen. In August 2014, Judge Craig Dougherty, United States Sixth Circuit, said gay marriage is already legal in more than a quarter of the states, and it doesn't look like the sky's falling in. And in October 2014, E.J. Minotti of the Arizona Republic responded to the court's decision granting homosexuals the right to marry in the state of Arizona by saying, 
The sky did not fall. The economy did not collapse. The government did not dissolve. There was no chaos in the streets. There was no fire, no brimstone, no fissures in the earth. Well, in June of 2015, Ed Stetzer observed that since the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage was handed down, he, he also said the sky didn't fall. No churches were padlocked. My friends, these words are so provoking, so taunting. I can't see how this could not anger God. You know, the Bible teaches that God measures the sin of a society and he draws a line. God says that when the corruption of a culture crosses that line, that he's going to bring judgment. Now, we don't know where that line is. And we don't know when the scale of justice has been tipped. All we know is that God does draw a line. He does have a limit. And let's look at some examples of that, just so that we don't think that we're exceptional somehow to God's rules. Think about this. Before God sent the flood, he sent a warning. In Genesis 6-3, God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Then, in Genesis 6-5, he says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. They had crossed the line. In Genesis 15, God spoke to Abraham about the future of Israel. Specifically, God told Abraham the children of Israel would live in the land of Egypt 400 years after his death. Well, why the wait? Well, God explains that in verse 16. said, The iniquities of the Amorites is not yet full. In essence, God tells Abraham that he's drawn a line and that the sins of the Amorites were not yet at the point of judgment. After 400 years, God passed judgment on the Amorites. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites were then full. They crossed the line that God had set. He spoke to Daniel about the future of Jerusalem and Israel in the ninth chapter of Daniel, where God provides a 490-year calendar for Israel. And he explains to Daniel that his purpose is to, quote-unquote, finish the transgressions and to make an end of sin. you find that in Daniel 9.24. Well, in other words, God's saying, I have a line that I've drawn and a balance that I've set. After the line of sin has been crossed and the balance of sin has been tipped, judgment is going to fall on Jerusalem and Israel. And it did. On June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States passed a sweeping, sin-filled decision legalizing same-sex marriage in every state. Five Supreme Court justices ignored 5,000 years of human history. Five justices ignored the fact that sodomy laws were only very recently respected in all 50 states. Five Supreme Court justices opened the door for a new cultural norm. And by the actions of the five, America's course is set on this new social experience that's unlike anything ever known in the history of the world.
Is judgment looming over America? Well, this Supreme Court decision simply ratifies public opinion and it opened the door for all to see the corruption that is American culture. Fact is, God gives people chance after chance. In Genesis 18.20, God said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. Why? Because he wanted to see for himself if the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was ripe for judgment. And he specifically says that Sodom is to be an example for all future societies in 2 Peter 2.6, which says God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them, making them an example under those that should live ungodly lives. And after the Lord speaks to Abraham in Genesis 18, he sends two angels to visit Sodom. In Genesis 19, it says that Lot, who was unaware of the fact that the two men visiting him were angels, implored them to come and stay in his home. Well, the angels and Lot were not going to have a peaceful evening. Genesis 19.4.5 says, The men of Sodom compassed the house all around, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said to him, Where are the men which came in with thee this night? Bring them out, so that we may know them. Well, remember in Second Peter 2.6, The city of Sodom is an example of a culture that's ripe for God's judgment. Think about the conduct of those people who pounded on the door of Lot's home. They were trying to force their sinful ways on people who wanted no part of it. Does that sound familiar to what's going on today? The homosexual community was accepted in Sodom. Genesis 19.4 says that they were old and young, representing people from every quarter. The homosexual community of Sodom was accepted by every demographic. According to a Pew Research Group, Americans opposed same-sex marriage by 57 to 35 margin in 2001. In 2015, the tables were exactly turned. 57% support gay marriage, 39% oppose it. This homosexual community was aggressive in Sodom. Genesis 19.5 shows the perverse proposition of Lot's neighbors. Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us so that we may know them. Well, on 20th of May, 2013, the Washington Times reported, more military men than women are sexually assaulted in the ranks each year. The Defense Department posted the results of an anonymous survey indicating that 26,000 sexual assaults in the year ending in May of 2013, 14,000 were male-on-male -male assaults. Does that sound familiar? When the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, Justice Samuel Alito, writing for the minority, said this, The decision will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. Those who cling to the old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes. But if they repeat these views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by government employers and schools. Is this alone cause enough for God to bring judgment? 
Well, Genesis 19 gives us a bit of a snapshot of the conditions of Sodom just prior to the judgment of God. Sinful conditions of Sodom didn't come to the people suddenly. There was a root cause at work here. The cause of Sodom's moral failure are revealed in Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel was commissioned of God to prophesy judgment on Jerusalem. Ezekiel 16.48 says, Jerusalem's sins were worse than Sodom's. In essence, God says, judgment against Jerusalem is necessary or Sodom would be deserving of an apology. In Ezekiel 16.49, God gives five root causes that brought the fruit of corruption to Sodom when he says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, an abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. It wasn't just homosexuality. It said it was filled with pride. Well, writing in a dissent for the minority, Justice Scalia said, to allow the policy questions of same-sex marriage to be considered and resolved by a select partition, highly unrepresentative panel of nine is to violate a principle even more fundamental than taxation without representation. Hubris is sometimes identified as orweaning pride, and pride, as we know, goeth before a fall. The opinion is couched in a style that's pretentious, and its content is egotistical. Chief Justice Roberts echoed the sentiments of Justice Scalia when he wrote, Five lawyers deem themselves the chosen to burst the bonds of history. Well, it also says Sodom was filled with plenty, the fullness of bread. You know, the number one health problem in Western culture is obesity. 35% of Americans are obese. 78.6 million Americans have become a nation of affluence and food abundance. America throws away enough food to feed a small country every day. America, just like Sodom, is full of bread. What about in Ezekiel when it says Sodom was a city filled with pleasure? abundance, and idleness. Well, did you know that Americans now spend three times more on entertainment than on education? While over 8% of the average American income is spent annually on entertainment, only 2% is given for charitable causes. America spends almost three hours a day watching television every day, and that's just the average. The American demand for more football games, fewer church services, and this is a witness to the fact that we have become a nation of people who, like it says in 2 Timothy 3.4, loves pleasure more than we love God. Ezekiel also says that Sodom was a city filled with pitiless people, said neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Well, we shouldn't think that the people of Sodom failed to provide for the poor or the needy. What they didn't do was strengthen their hand. And that's what he said. Neither did they 
strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. What does that mean? Americans have spent three times more money on welfare than on all of the wars that have been engaged in since the War of Independence. Yet, in 1967, 14.5% of the population was classified as living in poverty, and in 2015, 14.5% of the population is still classified as living in poverty. Now, it's good to give the poor a fish, but if we're going to strengthen their hand, shouldn't we also be teaching them to fish so that they don't need welfare? Instead of just giving them a fish, teach them to fish. That would strengthen their hand to get them off of the welfare rolls and being self-sufficient, but we don't do that. It goes on to say that Sodom was a city filled with morally perverted people. Ezekiel 16.50 says they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Every day in America, there's 68 million pornographic searches executed on the Internet. Massive amounts of sex shops, gay bars, and not to mention abortion worldwide is in the millions every year. The truth is that we are anything but a Christian nation. Our behavior as a nation makes a mockery of Christianity. We lead the world in every abomination known to man. Abortion, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, divorce, child abuse, violent crime, pornography, and yes, even child pornography. Worse yet, we export our violence and immorality to other countries through our sleazy movies and television programs. We have become the moral polluter of the earth. So the question is, are we about to reap what we've sown? Deuteronomy 28.15 says, The curse of a nation under judgment. It reads like a detailed description of American society in chaos. Homicide and incarceration. Highest of any industrialized nation. Ten times that of Japan, Sweden, Ireland, and the Netherlands. Crime has increased by 371% since 1960. Juvenile crime is up 920% since 1985, the highest in the world. Divorce quadrupled in the last 30 years, making the U.S. the world leader in divorce. Teenage pregnancies quadrupled in the last 30 years, more than a million a year, making us the Western world leader. Voluntary abortion. We are the leader in the world of voluntary abortion. Murdering our own people. Illegal drug use. We are the leader in the world. They say 120 people die every day from drug overdose. 120 people a day. Illiteracy. We're the world leader. With national educational standards among the lowest in the world. Teen suicides more than doubled in the last 30 years. Let's face it, we are a nation in rebellion. We have refused to repent. In fact, we have stiffened in our rebellion against God. In our schools, we have abolished prayer. We've removed the Ten Commandments. We've banned the distribution of Bibles. We've terrorized our teachers into believing that they're going to lose their job if they mention God to their students. We have even mandated that the teaching of atheistic evolution and have prohibited the truth of creationism. We have legalized and even encouraged sodomy. 
We're handing out condoms and needles to our youth. We're going out of our way to protect every expression of profanity and obscenity. Our state governments are encouraged immorality by promoting gambling in every conceivable form. Every conceivable form. And our artists are wallowing in blasphemy, using every form of artistic expression to mock and ridicule God. America is thumbing its nose at God. The Supreme Court is in rebellion against God. Our Congress is hardened against God. Our bureaucracy could care less about God, and our educational system has banned God. Are we a nation that's facing judgment or even wrath? The chilling thing about our behavior as a nation is that the Bible teaches that when a nation under judgment refuses to repent, it will ultimately reach a point where God will move it from judgment to wrath. Ezekiel 14.12.20 says that when this point is reached, the nation cannot be saved by the prayers of the righteous. The nation cannot be saved by the prayers of the righteous. There's a message that God gave to Nahum to deliver to Nineveh. Nahum pronounced that the nation's wounds had become incurable. Nahum 3.19 Jeremiah used the same terminology when he later pronounced God's doom on Judah in Jeremiah 10. Nahum identifies the point of no return in chapter 1 verse 11. He says it occurs when a nation's apathy toward God or rebellion against God is transformed into a war with God. In other words, it's one thing for a nation to ignore God and another for it to rebel against it. These actions will provoke the judgment of God. But when a nation goes to war with God, the nation has sealed its fate. Even the prayers of the righteous won't save it. How will God's wrath be manifested toward us? Well, we don't know, and we can't say for sure. But it may come in the form of this upcoming economic collapse. With no hope of recovery, maybe it'll be nuclear weapons. You know, there's also what's called a cataclysmic wrath, like a tsunami, a volcano, a hurricane, or an earthquake. Are we starting to see these kind of things increase? Maybe, and I say maybe, these are designed to get our attention. A shaking, so to speak. You know, in America, there's a lot of decision-making about our nation's course being ripped away from us by the government. We grumble, we gripe, we complain, but we, the people, are ultimately responsible for putting in power the same people who are ripping away our freedoms. Let me give you a quote from President James Garfield. Here's what he said. Now more than ever before, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If our leaders are ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it's because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it's because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. If the next generation doesn't find us a great nation, it's going to be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of this nation don't take any action in controlling the political forces. That means we the people are responsible for what our leaders do. They are a reflection of us. So it would not be just for us to go to God and say, it's not us, it's our leaders. We are responsible for our leaders. We put them in and we take them out. 
We have a convention of states to bypass them. We have a bill of rights that we can abolish the government and put our own government in there. And we don't do that. We are responsible for what our leaders do. Now, I'm well aware that what I'm about to say is going to be called hate speech. But I am a free man in a free country that has freedom of speech. Now, if someone has a problem with what I'm about to say, that's just what that is. Their problem, not mine. First, no, there's a radical homosexual agenda that's being crammed down the throats of Americans. The federal government has bent over backwards for these people. They're making new laws to protect them from those bad Christians and those others who disagree with their perverted lifestyles. The act of homosexuality is called an abomination to God. Specifically, Scripture reads this, If a man also lies with a man... As he lies with the woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Now, for those of you who say this is Old Testament, so it's archaic, the truth still applies. Why? Because God says in Malachi, For I am the Lord, I change not. What God said is an abomination remains an abomination. Homosexuality is being taught in our public schools at younger and younger ages. Children who shouldn't be exposed to anything regarding sex are being taught that homosexuality is perfectly normal, that having two mommies or daddies is a good thing. And how about when these governmental indoctrination centers are teaching our little kids how to perform acts of anal sex? Children in elementary school should be learning reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're too young to be learning about sex of any kind. But this is much, much bigger than gays. Let me give you some recent headlines about the direction that America is heading. A 13-year-old boy who allegedly killed his sleeping 16-year-old cousin after an argument over a video game system was ordered held in custody today by juvenile court judges. Killed him over an Xbox. District of Columbia man charged with fatally stabbing his wife during an argument over a cable bill. A friend found the bodies of Claudia Hall, 51, on Friday, lying on her bed in her residence at the 300 block of 18th Place Southeast. Police said she had been stabbed in the abdomen and choked, and was pronounced dead at the scene, over a cable bill. Are there other perversions? Well, here's one. A pizza delivery man was arrested for being caught on hidden camera having sex with the family dog. It says the Papa John delivery man in Florida has been arrested on charges after he was allegedly caught on camera having sex with their family dog. There's a Stockton couple accused of dismembering their roommate, burying the torso in a campfire. And the couple that's accused of the grisly crime of killing this man and then dismembering the body, they say the suspect left a trail of blood that led them to the remains. They weren't even smart about it. What about the New York group that's built the Satan statue at Oklahoma State Capitol? This is a seven-foot-tall statue of Satan at the Oklahoma State Capitol, where the Ten Commandments was placed in 2012. It depicts Satan as a goat-headed figure with horns. He has wings and a long beard. And it's Satan sitting on a pentagram adorned with smiling children next to him. On December 13, 2013, the first grader, Isaiah Martinez, took Christmas gifts intended for his teacher and classmates at Merced Elementary in West Covina. Each gift consisted of a traditional candy cane with a message attached that recited the legend of the candy cane. The legend references a candy maker who created the candy cane to symbolize the life of Jesus Christ. 
Well, the first grade teacher tells this young child that, sorry, Jesus is not allowed in school, and he wasn't allowed to pass out those gifts. What about the man who planned the sexual abuse of his own daughter before she was even born? Evidence at the trial showed that he abused his son and daughter, that the child of another woman, children who raged in age from one to four. And this list could go on and on and on. So what about the rest of the people in America who claim to be Christian? You know, that's really what a bulk of the problem is. We claim to be a Christian nation, but most Christians in America are Christian in name only. They go to church and they claim some sort of righteousness. These are people who carry the bag that says, I'm a Christian. But if you open the bag, there's nothing in it. It's empty because their faith is empty. They are Christian in name only. And if confronted about it, they deny it and say things like, don't judge me or who are you to judge me? When in fact, they show they're not Christian when they leave the church on Sunday, go right back into the world, lying and cheating, extramarital affairs, hate, slander, all of these things of the world that we're told not to be a part of. But is it all their fault? Part of it is. But also, but also to blame are the fake false teachers, preachers, and pastors who don't teach them the truth, in part because they don't want to offend anyone. They compromise God's truth to keep the congregation showing up every Sunday. They need the tithes. Yes, they are false preachers and teachers. Second Timothy 3, 7 says, ever learning but never able to come to the truth of the word. This is a last day prophecy. Why is that? It's because Americans are bombarded with false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, let me give you a good example. I think Joel Osteen is just one of so many, but this is a good example. Joel Osteen said this, and I quote, He said, God said in Numbers 11.23, Moses, is there any limit to my power? He was saying, Moses, you saw me part the Red Sea. Stop the sun for Joshua. Keep three Hebrew teenagers safe in a fiery furnace. Don't you realize that I can bring water without rain? There's no limit to God's power. Well, what's wrong with that? The truth is, Moses had not seen God stop the sun for Joshua, or had witnessed that Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego went into the fiery furnace. All of these things happened after Moses' death. It was Joshua who saw God perform the miracle of the sun in Joshua 10.13 where it says, So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Even the book of Joshua begins with the words, Now after the death of Moses. But Joel Osteen insists that Moses seen all of these things, and that's why he proclaimed God's power. Well, you know what? I heard another preacher tell the story of when Jesus and Peter walked on water. And he said that when Jesus told them to go out, that he knew that the storm was on its way, and they went anyway because Jesus told them to. Well, here's what it says in Matthew 14. And I quote, And straight away, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening came, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So I called this pastor on that. The pastor said that the disciples knew that this storm was coming, and they went anyway. 
How did they know that there was a storm coming later that day? Did they have Doppler radar? Did they check the weather channel? The Bible doesn't say anywhere there that they knew the storm was coming. And automatically I was attacked. And they said, you're being too critical. You're being legalistic. This little tiny thing just is not enough to make any difference. Why would you even say that? You just want to attack this preacher. Well, no, it's not that. Let me give you an example. How about if I invite you over to my house and I say, well, let's talk about this. We'll go to my house. I just made a batch of brownies. We'll have some brownies and some coffee and we'll get our Bibles out. We'll talk about this and see, you know, exactly what it does say. So as we're having these brownies and this coffee, I say, how's the brownies? You say, wow, these brownies are pretty good. And I say, well, these brownies have a special ingredient. For every batch of 40 brownies that I make, I put in one tablespoon of dog poop. Well, why would I put in one tablespoon of dog poop? I'm not eating those. Well, why? It's such a little thing, and it really makes no difference out of 40 brownies. I mean, do you see what I'm saying here? There's a reason why Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Because a little untruth mixed with the truth is that tablespoon of dog poop. You don't mix those things. You either tell the truth or it's all distorted. It's not the same. It's got a tablespoon of dog poop in it. It's not the same. So what about the divide of denominations in America? Most denominations claim they're right and everyone else is wrong. Is the church supposed to be divided this way? No wonder the truth is so hard to get a hold of. Not everyone is right. There's only one truth. And you know, this division has been going on for a long time. Not only with Catholics and Protestants killing each other over the differences in doctrine. What about the King James Version of the Bible? Queen Elizabeth dies in 1603. King James, King of Scotland, becomes King of both Scotland and England. And immediately, in England... There's two religious groups, the Puritans and the bishops, each one having their own version of the Bible. Now, King James was raised from kindergarten up on the Bible. The Puritans and the bishops both came to King James and wanted their version of the Bible to be state-sanctioned versions of the Bible. King James read both versions. And when he called them back, he was angry, telling both of them that they were both blasphemous. They were both heresy. Neither one of them were right. So what did King James do? He commissioned both the Puritans and the bishops to take 50 each of their finest scholars, put them in a room together, and they were to come up with a version of the Bible that both sides agreed on. Now remember, when King James became king, the Puritans and the bishops were almost at war. They hated each other that much. Their doctrines, their teachings, their Bibles were so much different. They were ready to kill each other. They were almost at war. King James made them sit down with 50 scholars from each one and come up with their own version. And it took them years to do this. I think it's lucky they didn't just kill each other, trying to come up with something that both sides agreed on. But when they finally did, that's how we got the King James version of the Bible. Now, even though there's a lot of people that say, you know, 99% of the King James Version is accurate and goes along with the past text. But there's other people that say, if both of these copies were wrong, how can you get a right out of two wrongs? So you see, there's even a division there. So with all of the denominations, and that's not even to mention Mormons, Catholics, I mean, 
There are so many divisions here. Is this the way that it was intended? Does this add to the scales, to the balances of whether or not we get judgment or wrath, that we be so far from the truth? And is this why so many people have a hard time coming to the truth? Because there's 25 or 30 different denominations out there telling people, here's the truth, no, here's the truth, no, here's the truth. How are you supposed to know? Well, you know, if you read your Bible, then you would know which ones are right and which ones are wrong. You know, and I personally struggled with this for a long time. However, let me tell you a valuable lesson that I learned. And that was, I was reading in the Old Testament, and I got to the part after Lot was sent out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he went up to the hills. Well, on his way up to the hills, remember, him and his family were told not to look back. But his wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. She died. When they got to the mountains, the daughters, he had two daughters, who were afraid that he wouldn't have a legacy. So they did what we call today incest, where they got him drunk on strong wine, and then they laid with him until both became pregnant. So in the Bible, when it tells this story, it says both became pregnant and both had sons. And then it says God said he would make both sons great kings whose kingdoms would last forever. And then it just went on with the story. And I stopped and said, now, wait a minute. I said to myself, I didn't say it out loud. I said, <laughs> I said wait a minute. You say that these are two kings whose kingdoms will last forever, but you don't tell us who the kings are. The story just goes on. So I said, okay. Well, you know, at the end of some chapters or at the end of some books, they have a genealogy. And, you know, I've tried to go through some of these genealogies. And most of the names I can't pronounce. Most of the people, I don't even know who they are. Shem begat Adab, which begat blah, blah, which begat blah, blah. I don't know who any of these people are, you know, or... So they begat, so they begat. Well, you know, most people, like I did, you just breeze through that stuff because you don't know who any of these people are. And, you know, what difference does it make except just to say that they're showing that it's factual because they're naming names. They're naming the, the genealogy with names to prove that this is right. Well, so, you know, I thought, all right, well, let me read through this. And as I was reading through that one, after I read about Lot, sure enough, there in the genealogy, that's right, I know you were thinking this, there in the genealogy where the two kings were named. And I just said, man, you know, there's a valuable lesson there. It's the proof of the continuity all the way from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. Everything is connected. There's an incredible continuity there. And if you read the Bible the way you're supposed to, you're going to find that continuity. So now are you saying, who were the kings? The kings were Moab and the chief children of Ammon, the two direct descendants of Lot. So immediately, I put my Bible down and I went and got my map of modern-day Israel. Sure enough, there's Moab. Well, who were the chief children of Ammon? The chief children of Ammon is the capital of Jordan, Amman, Jordan. That's So I, I wanted to verify that. I went and looked up the history of Jordan, and sure enough, Jordan claims its genealogy to Abraham through Lot. It's all confirmed. Those kingdoms did, or at least till now, have still existed thousands of years later, just like God said they were. That was an incredible lesson to me. And I hope it can be a lesson to you that if you read the Bible, even though you may not get the answers that you want right at the time you're reading it, it's in there. Just keep going. It's in there. There is a continuity there that if you read it just like you read any other book, don't open it up and start at the New Testament and start going through the New Testament because you don't know any of the old stuff. You got to start from the beginning to the end.
So I don't want to get too off track here, but let me say this. In Genesis 18.23, Abraham could have said, when it comes to uh, all of the people in Sodom, all of the homosexuals, the violence, all of the perversions, you know, Abraham could have said, well, it serves him right. I've been watching the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm surprised that God's waited so long. But, you know, that's not how Abraham responded. When God spoke to Abraham about the judgment, Abraham pleads with God for mercy. Now, we should recognize the needs of the souls who have provoked God's righteous anger. When we look at America's homosexual community, we need to see them as souls who will live somewhere for eternity. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extorters shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Remember, it's not homosexuality that condemns a soul to hell. It's the sin. In Jude 22:23, we're challenged with these words. Of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. If we, as Christians, are to be a true reflection of God, we should be doing everything we can to try to save as many as who will listen and pray without ceasing for everyone who turns a deaf ear. You know, God spared Lot. He sent angels to remove him from the city before he destroyed it. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Peter says, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those who would live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So, while the fires of God's judgment may come to America, we should be firm in our expectation that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by Christ. It's God's will that everyone come to repentance, that none should be lost. We cannot say good for them, or they deserve every little bit of it. We should mourn for everyone who refuses to hear. Anyone who curses God and everyone who will pay the price for the sins themselves. You know, Walter A. Mayer wrote something in 1945 I'm going to share with you, and I quote, A few months before Charles Darwin, often called the father of evolution, died, he was visited by Lady Hope. In a signed statement that in this titled English woman tells how she found the scientist who had flatly denied scripture, he was propped up in his bed reading the very book he had attacked, the Bible. Calmly, yet forcibly, he spoke on the guidance offered by the sacred volume. He bemoaned the fact that people had accepted his theories regarding man's origin as assured truth. Then he suddenly asked Lady Hope, 
I have a summer house in the garden, which holds almost 30 people. Mr. Darwin said, tomorrow afternoon, I should like the servants of this place, some tenants, and a few of the neighbors to gather there. Will you speak to them? And she said, what shall I speak about? Clearly, emphatically, he replied, Jesus Christ and his salvation. Adding in a lower tone, thus, with death approaching, did Charles Darwin, evolutionist, denier of the Bible, acclaim and accept the Lord Jesus Christ? What's my point here? Even if we give the words of salvation to someone and they reject us, they call us names, they mock us, they reject every part of God, it just may be that in that last hour they may remember what that Christian said to them sometime before and know that those last minutes, the words you gave them were the truth and they may at that last minute accept Christ. You know, I heard somebody say once that it's really hard to be an atheist when you're stranded on a rubber raft in the middle of the ocean. When people are faced with death, somehow they get a revelation that God is real. And they call on Him. And God tells us that His Word does not come back void. Well, we're out of time. But I, I hope in this short time, we've opened some eyes to what we may be in store for. Thank you for being here. This is In Time News. I'm W. Dean Shook. We'll be back with our regular programming with the end time news of the day on our next episode. Thank you for being here. I'm finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is It's okay The last thing I need Is to be heard But to hear what you would sing, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place, please let me stay. In the midst of you Beyond the music Beyond the noise All that I need Is to be with you And in the quiet Hear your voice Word of God speak Would you pour down like
finding myself at a loss. 